Well, to get started, I think we should read the, uh, the verse that we've kind of been going over this Advent season uh, from Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. So, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonder, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So of all the names that Isaiah gives us when he's going over this list of what to call the coming king or the Messiah, the last one he goes over is the Prince of Peace. And I don't personally think that it's a coincidence that both the, the, the last name is Prince of Peace and the first name that he gives us is Wonderful. Uh, and these names I don't think are necessarily more important, um, but when you're listing attributes or when I hear somebody making a list of attributes for something, traditionally I think it's the first thing you hear and the last thing you hear are the ones that really stick out. Um, and as it happens for these two names, Wonderful and Prince of Peace, they're a little bit different from the other names because they're, they're more uh, conceptual. They're addressing a longing of the soul. They're, um, they're not necessarily something we have a tangible representation for in life when we see other people. We all know counselors or mighty men, or even um, fathers especially. I'm sure we all know some. Um, but we don't really have a person we can point to and just say, oh, that person embodies wonderful or peace. Um, and so when we're looking uh, at these two names, specifically today, Prince of Peace, I think that they speak more directly to um, the human longing for, for something to complete us or fulfill a void that we have. And I have found that it can be absolutely wonderful when you are surprised by the joy that real peace can bring you. So as we've started so far, we've been looking over all of the names of Christ and uh, I think it's important to really think about what a name is and what that means and why we have names. I mean, the obvious answer would be to get each other's attention. Um, and depending on your family or your cultural background, uh, names can range from very important and significant to uh, because it sounds pretty or cool. Uh, and if you have named your child or are planning on naming your child something just because it's cool or pretty, there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, that's exactly how I approached naming with all of our children. Ashley and I have five of them. And she is the one who put in the work to really research uh, meanings and uh, 
kind of what their names symbolize or what it would, uh, what it, um, what its original meaning was. Uh, I, on the other hand, was kind of more preoccupied and concerned about if the name was going to form a compound word with our last name. Uh, and our last name is Key, so names like Don or Blaine were off the table. Um, but uh, the meaning of a name meant a lot to first century uh, Jewish people. And it said something about who you were or who you were going to be, the hope that your parents had for you, uh, what they expected your life to embody. Um, and in this case, Isaiah is saying the names of the Messiah are not just what we're going to call him, but they tell us who he is and what he's going to mean to each of us in our lives and how he will manifest those traits in our lives. Uh, so whenever I'm out in public, and I do try to make that as rare as possible, um, if somebody does want to get my attention, usually I'll hear somebody say, hey you, or excuse me sir, uh, because when strangers try to get my attention, they don't know my name, so they don't use it. But if I'm in a crowd somewhere, and I hear somebody call out Hayden, I'll look around for somebody that I know, because I'll assume if that you're saying my name, I know you, and that you know me. And beyond that, Hayden is a very common name for me, for people to call me. Everybody who knows me calls me Hayden. But there are other names that I have that are a little bit more personal, a little bit more intimate. Uh, and they're used only by people that have really special positions in my life, or that I know in a very special way. Uh, for instance, when I hear a voice that I know called Dad, or Hun, Babe, or whatever the list may be, I know exactly who's trying to get my attention right away. Because the use of a personal name indicates that the person doesn't just know me on a superficial level, but intimately and closely. The name dad, when used to me by my children, doesn't just mean, hey you, random guy, I need something from you, but it means something special. It carries with it the weight of a relationship that I have with that person, with my kids. And we all understand this and have this to some degree, um, but at least for me, over the years, I have definitely had times where I would call God, God. Um, essentially, hey you, or excuse me sir, I need something. And there's nothing wrong with using the word God when we're praying. That's not really what I'm getting at. It's more is what you're calling God personal, or is it something generic? Is it um, what you would just call, uh, call him when you're praying, you know, Dear Lord, thank you for this food. Please bless my day, amen. Um, or are you really connecting with somebody who means something to you? Uh, and in the Old Testament, God had many names that he drew notice to, um, that he brought to us for us to call him so that we would know who he is. And Isaiah saw the hopes and the, the, the worries of the world and he saw how they would be satisfied in the names that he's giving of the coming Messiah. 
His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And today we're going to focus on the last one, Prince of Peace. And we're going to see what that does not mean and what it does mean and why that should matter to all of us. So a fantastic resource that I found while uh, preparing this was the Blue Letter Bible. Uh, and it has an exhaustive uh, list of the names of God. Uh, and somewhere around the middle, we find one called uh, Jehovah Shalom. And it uh, broken down, Jehovah means the existing one or Lord. Uh, the chief meaning of Jehovah is derived from the Hebrew word Hava, meaning to be or to exist uh, or to become. Uh, specifically to become known. And this denotes a God who reveals himself unceasingly. And I think that's important to remember that God doesn't hide himself uh, and we don't have to complete some grand quest or mighty work to find God or to draw him out of a hiding place. He wants us to know him. He wants to make every effort to show himself to us uh, if we ever take the time to recognize it or to look for him. Shalom is derived from another word, shalem, uh, which just means complete or sound. And shalom means peace, and we'll see how peace uh, is essentially meaning completeness or whole sound um, and uh, how that relates to to Jesus or the Messiah in this context. So we are given intimate perspectives of God's nature through knowing his names. And I know often I'll find myself still falling into that impersonalized trap if I'm not, you know, if I'm busy or tired of just praying a quick, you know, thank you for this day, bless my food. Um, but God knows you and he knows me more intimately than anyone else in your life ever will. And I think that we should also be trying to get to know him closer and more intimately than the most close and intimate person we have in our life. To know him so well that we are beyond the first name basis and onto a personal name basis with him. So how the world describes things is not always exactly how God originally intended us to understand them. And it's not how God himself currently defines them. Uh, peace, according to the Oxford language definitions, is a freedom from disturbance or tranquility. Another definition is a state or period in which there is no war or a war has ended. And I don't think there's anything wrong with either of these definitions. We use them, you know, throughout our lives all the time, and it helps us convey a specific meaning to people. Um, and honestly, it can be really nice to have a definition for peace or for anything uh, that is really based on objective criteria. We can know that we have peace when things are quiet, uh, when we uh, are in a peaceful state, it's because we can check off a bunch of boxes uh, on a list that means peace 
to us or whatever we have developed in our own minds to believe that peace is. Um, and um, uh, for some that might be, you know, the kids aren't fighting or you're on vacation from work, uh, the, the neighbor's not mowing his lawn at six in the morning. Uh, there can be a number of different things for everybody and I think that's kind of part of it is we all have, have our own version of what freedom from disturbance is. But I think another question we could ask is, um, why does that mean peace to us? Um, why do we view certain things as an infringement on our peace? Uh, as if we had something uh, to do with producing it or that we have earned it and that the peace belongs to us by something, uh, by some right that we have. And if we look at the second definition, we see that there's a state or period in which there is no war or a war has ended. I've heard it said that that is the brief moments throughout history where everyone stands around reloading. Um, an example of this, um, I am a little bit of a, a history nerd, so bear with me, but after Rome had colonized the British islands, um, it was without war or turmoil for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, there were many, many kings throughout the history of England, uh, foreign kings, uh, domestic kings, and every time that a kingship would change, it was uh, preceded and followed by conflict and war, or a lack of peace. Uh, if you can try to imagine living in the 11th or the 12th century during the Crusades, uh, every single generation uh, of kings was about 10 years long. So the stability of how long you would have a ruler was also very short. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the more famous kings that we all probably know uh, from England's history is uh, King Richard the Lionheart. Uh, we've you know, seen him portrayed in a lot of different movies, Robin Hood uh, and such. And uh, over his 10 year reign as king, he only spent six months of it in England. The rest of it was either away on a foreign war or in prison in Normandy. Uh, and that six months was what they would call the time that he was at peace. And even then, Everyone was plotting to essentially overthrow him. So it wasn't really peaceful. Uh, and I was thinking from the perspective of a citizen in this time, how could, you, how could anyone say that they had peace? For as long as you know, there have been earthly kings of any kind, we have always been disappointed by their inability to provide us with a lasting peace, a real peace. And we here in America are incredibly blessed to live in a time and a, uh, a country where we are relatively free from war directly in our day-to-day -day lives. Unless you have uh, voluntarily joined the armed services, it is likely that none of us here have ever been directly exposed to war. But it can still feel like the sky is falling. Uh, and that the world is ending all around us. 
And while we live in houses and in, uh, with jobs and essentially social conditions that would have been the envy of kings from a few hundred years ago, we can still feel that lack of peace. So real peace or genuine and lasting peace can't be gained from just removing a global or a personal disturbance. It isn't that we've always had this peace inside of us and we just can't feel it until someone stops bothering us. Peace has to come from something else or from someone. And if you look at uh, Google at all for peace, if you Google how to find peace or what is peace, um, you'll be met with a lot of these self-help uh, or uh, inner peace solutions on how you can solve your uh, disturbance yourself. You can look inwards and focus on you, and that will bring about peace. And that's what the world wants us to do. They want us to focus on us, ourselves, because that's where they say peace is. But I'm sure, as some of you may know, if you've ever tried, you might find temporary peace by looking inwards. But lasting, genuine peace comes from God. And I do find it interesting that even the world does say to look inwards for peace. Because to some extent, I, I, that may be true for some of us because we are all made in the image of God and he has written his word on our hearts. And when we know God, when we have a relationship with him, we can, he is living inside of us. But that is not what the self-help books are referencing or what they're talking about. They are talking about genuine self-love peace. Um, but real peace is not found there. And to just put that all really simply and concisely, peace is not the absence of strife, and it is not the absence of conflict, and is not something created by you. Which is all fine and good, but that doesn't really help us with what peace is or how we can get it. Um, we need to know how Jesus is the Prince of Peace and how we can access that. And as it was stated uh, in the description of Jehovah Shalom, the root meaning of Shalom was complete or sound, wholeness. And we commonly hear Shalom translated as peace, which is true because peace is referring to that attribute of being whole. Uh, the shalom of a wall would be its completeness, its wholeness. Uh, the integrity of a building would be described as its shalom. There are no missing pieces. And when Jesus is being called the Prince of Peace, <clears throat> we see that he is the realization of peace in our lives. He's what's making us whole. He's filling in those missing pieces that we all have in our lives. At the fall, we were separated from God and humanity lost its shalom, its wholeness. And Isaiah was telling us and the people of that time that their shalom is going to be restored 
in the coming Messiah. Now, it was a common belief by the early Jews that the Messiah was going to give them, you know, a political and national freedom and peace. Freedom from the rule of a tremendous amount of oppressors that they had over the, the, the centuries. And many Jews uh, still look for the coming political leader that will bring them a state of national peace. And this misunderstanding uh, regarding the type of peace the Messiah would bring has, I'm sure, made uh, it very difficult to understand uh, a lot of current world events and how God could possibly be bringing peace uh, to a world when it seems to be uh, turned upside down. But Jesus did not come into the world to set up an earthly kingdom. He came to establish an everlasting one and to bring everlasting peace. The peace that no man or nation can ever take away from you or tear down. And we strive to find that peace still, everywhere. We look for it all around us. And when we can step back and recognize that the, the source of peace is Jesus, and that the only possible thing that's going to fill us or make us whole is him, then we can really start to actually feel that peace and know what it is. Uh, Jesus, in Luke uh, 10, 41 and 42, uh, makes a pretty good uh, example of, of this when he's talking uh, to Martha. Uh, in Luke 10, 41, he says, uh, And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And that is a really profound couple of verses. Because what we see is in that, that brief moment, Jesus has summed up what the disease is and what the cure is. You are worried and troubled by many things. And as the NLT uh, puts it, you're upset by all these details. So who here, I mean, has not in one way or another been distracted by worries or um, dismayed by external expectations? One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. I like how the message also puts this section. It says that, Mary has chosen it. It's the main course. Appetizers, chips, salsa, all the stuff you get beforehand, uh, that's not what matters. It's the main course, the thing that fills your hunger, your emptiness. Jesus is that main course, and his peace is what makes us whole. And I will preface that I know that we can all get filled up on chips and salsa if we don't watch out, but that's not the point. Um, so there aren't a hundred different things or even ten different things that we need to do to gain peace. And Jesus said here, there is one thing needed, and Mary has chosen it. 
Uh, we don't need more free time. We don't need more money. We don't even need uh, less war. Uh, well, we do, but that's not the, the secret to peace. There is one thing, and it is a gift. And the thing about gifts, as I'm sure everyone's aware with Christmas uh, right around the corner, uh, we get, get the gifts from people, but we have to choose to accept it. We have to take the wrapping paper off and open the gift. And there will always be something to worry about, and there will always be something to distract us. But we can choose to accept the peace of Jesus, even the middle of chaos. And we know what the modern or the, the more secular version of peace is. And we know that peace, uh, what peace from Jesus looks like. Uh, the big question is, how do we get it? And it's not necessarily as easy as just walking out of here today and declaring to the sky, I have the peace of the Lord. Uh, and then you feel it all of a sudden. Um, it is that simple, but it is not always that easy. Uh, in terms of simplicity, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote in Mere Christianity, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. And if you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, or peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you choose it, the spray will wet you. If you, uh, if you do not, you will remain dry. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? So, yes, getting close to God, that's how you know his peace. His name, it's who he is. Peace is in his nature. And when you're close to him, his peace warms you, like being next to a bonfire. Um, so it is simple, but that doesn't always necessarily mean it's easy. With practice, everything is easier, meaning the more that you are close to God, the more that you are with him, the easier it is to, to feel peace. Uh, Jesus is always willing, ready, and able to commune with you and to be close to you. But you are the one who has to choose to be close to him. We learned not too long ago during our study in Psalms 23 that the sheep that purposed to spend time close to the shepherd knew him the closest. And the sheep that stayed on the fringes would feel the tug of distractions more easily. And we know that we need to spend time close to Jesus, but we often don't make that time. Life pulls us away. We get 
worried and troubled about many things. Distracted from the one thing that does matter. So it is simple, but we need to practice living it out. We have peace in our daily grind and in the storms when we can practice, 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 and make it a commonplace in our lives to be close to God. Um, I'll illustrate that with a, with a short story. Off the coast of Nigeria uh, in 2013, there was a commercial tugboat. It was on contract with a lot of other boats to help uh, bring in a large oil tanker. And on board this specific tugboat, there was a man named Harrison Okene, uh, and he was the cook uh, on board the, the ship. And he was set as well were all the other men on board to go on leave as soon as this job was over. Now, in the, it was multiple days that they were bringing this uh, tanker in. And one night, uh, they, uh, in, it's in a part, uh, he, he got up to go use the restroom. Now, this is in a part of the world where uh, pirate attacks in the middle of the night were actually very, very common. So in order for the rest of the crew to have peaceful sleep, uh, they had to lock their doors every night uh, to each cabin because that would at least slow the pirates' uh, 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 attack across the ship. So while Harrison was uh, up in the middle of the night using the restroom, the unthinkable uh, happened, and it was not a pirate attack. Uh, but it was a rogue wave that swelled up and capsized uh, their boat. And for just a second, imagine that you are uh, in that situation. That is pretty unpeaceful. And I'll just assume right now, and maybe I'm wrong, that most of us have not been in a scenario quite as unpleasant or unpeaceful as being in the restroom of a boat upside down in the middle of the ocean. Because uh, Harrison has suddenly found himself in icy cold water, in pitch black darkness, inside of a bathroom, trapped. And uh, above him there was an air bubble that he was able to fumble around and find when he swam uh, up. And for me, that just thinking about being in that scenario makes my heart race a little bit. Um, but not only did the ship capsize, but it immediately sank to the bottom of the ocean. So it was 100 feet uh, under, under the, uh, the surface of the sea. So there was no hope of him escaping and swimming up. And worst of all, the surrounding ships sent divers, but when they couldn't open any of the doors, they assumed everyone had died. So they went back to the surface and then planned a salvage mission for three days later. Uh, so Harrison was trapped in a ship in the pitch blackness for three days. Um, and he, uh, spoiler alert, he did make it out and he is fine. Um, and in an interview he said, I prayed about a hundred times. When I was tired, I started calling on the name of God. I was just calling on his name for divine intervention. I started to reminisce on verses I read before I went to sleep. I read the Bible from Psalms 54 
to 92. My wife had sent me those verses to read the night uh, before when she called me before I went to bed. So we will read real quickly through Psalms 54 to 92. Uh, if you'll bear with me just for a moment. I won't actually make you sit here for all of them, but I do have some highlights. Uh, Psalms 54, 1 through 2 and 4. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. Or Psalms 83, verse 1. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace and do not be still, O God. So he's sitting there thinking he's going to die, but he lent on God. He was overwhelmed with peace in one of the most horrendous circumstances because he was practiced in being close to God. His default was to lean on the Lord. And God worked miracles in his life. Uh, to keep it from getting too long of a story, the divers did eventually come back, and when they were collecting uh, everything else out of the ship, Harrison uh, was about to be left again when he uh, took courage and left the safety of his bubble and swam after the divers to get their attention. And after a, a considerable shock on the part of the divers, uh, they were able to bring down a submersible to put Harrison in and slowly bring him to the surface over the course of another couple of days. Um, so that's the kind of peace that we need. The kind of peace that can keep us focused on what matters when we're in situations that most people would just either give up in or freak out. Uh, I cannot think of a scenario less peaceful than being trapped underwater for three days with no apparent hope. Um, and I believe that God also believes that that is a pretty unpleasant situation for us to be in uh, because he put uh, Jonah there for three days when he needed to get his attention. But through this closeness and practiced uh, engagement with the Lord, with Jesus, uh, Harrison had peace in that situation. So we know that we, uh, we know where peace comes from and more or less we know how we can get it. There is one more thing that I'll, I'll touch on briefly uh, and that's spiritual warfare. I won't spend a lot of time on it but it is something that I do think we do not give nearly enough respect to the danger that it presents in our day-to-day -day lives and the threat that it holds over our peace. Uh, to uh, quote C.S. Lewis again, uh, in the Screw Tape Letters, which is a correspondence between two demons, a, uh, a tempter who is, uh, through letters, writing to his nephew who is uh, trying to uh, pull a man away from his salvation, so just for reference, when they, ref when they say the enemy in this, that is God that they are talking about. Um, and so Scroop Tape says to his, uh, to his nephew, Wormwood, 
there is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. Or another uh, part where he says, indeed the safest road to hell is a gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot and without sudden turnings, without milestones and without signposts. Satan wants to steal the real genuine joy that you have from your proximity to Jesus. And he wants to replace it with a forgery, with something fake. And he wants to do it without you ever knowing that it's happening. There is an eternal war going on for your soul. There are uh, spiritual forces tugging at you and trying to pry you away from God. And that is a reality. That does not mean that we cannot have peace because of that. In fact, we should have peace in spite of it. And we can have peace in spite of it when we rely on Jesus, when we put our faith in him and we seek the source of peace. Jesus has redeemed you and he wants you to know his name. He wants you to call him by it, to know him by it. By reading his word, talking with him, and listening to him, you can get it. You are his obsession, and he should be yours. To understand that you can have peace in the middle of difficulties, in the middle of warfare, in the middle of uncertainty. When spiritual warfare is around you, you can combat it with a reliance on Christ and a secured knowledge of him and his peace. And honestly, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure because if you are immersing yourself and consistently in your Bible, communicating with Jesus, talking with him, listening to him, then in your relationship with him is growing and something that you are working on every day, then you will see the attacks of the enemy coming a mile away and you'll be better prepared to deal with them. And back to the analogy of a wall, the shalom or the peace of a wall, its wholeness is what stands up to attacks better than a weak pile of rubble. Uh, in fact, John, in John 14, uh, 16 through 17, he says, and I will pray, Jesus is saying, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide in you, with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him. He dwells with you and will be in you. See, God the Father, Jehovah Shalom, is who sent us Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who had another helper, the Holy Spirit, sent to us. We are tremendously well looked after 
and constantly uh, sought after by God. And uh, if, if your peace is what you're waiting for, or if you're waiting for God to do for you whatever it is you think peace is, or are you trying to seek his peace, which is perfect? Seeking him, he is perfect. And knowing him is what will bring you real, lasting, eternal peace. The name of the Messiah, Prince of Peace. Call him by it. Know him by it. And uh, I will uh, close with uh, something that Paul actually said to uh, the Thessalonians uh, in his second letter to them. Uh, so 2 Thessalonians uh, 3.16 is when Paul says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Let's pray. And Lord, I do just ask that you would uh, come into to this place, into the hearts and the, the minds of everyone here and let them just know you know who you are and what you are and to just feel the, the reality of your peace from knowing you. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to, uh, to just bless, uh, bless everyone here through this, this season and beyond. In your name, amen.